0: I have a a picture that I want to show you guys today. Raise your hand if you don't know who that is. Yeah, wow, look at all the hands that aren't going up, right? Come on, that's Superman. Everybody knows that. He's arguably the greatest comic book superhero of all time, but he's certainly the most important. You may not know that Superman is the first modern superhero. He's been around for 80-something years, and every other superhero in comics is inspired in some way by him. Another comic book character that you may be less familiar with, Stiltman. <laughs> yeah, there's an actual Stiltman from Marvel Comics. He's popped up for years in kind of random comic books, Spider-Man, Daredevil, here and there. But you've probably never heard of this guy unless you're like a super sweaty nerd like me. So we've got two extremes here, all right? We've got one who is unquestionably the GOAT, greatest of all time, everyone everywhere knows who he is. We've got another character that is so obscure it's almost kind of comical. Now, why am I talking about comics in church? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. So we're in this one-hit wonder series, little-known Bible stories that have a lot to teach us. And when Chad told me three months ago or something that he wanted me to preach today, I instantly knew exactly what I wanted to talk about. Because in my mind, there is one person. There is one figure from the Bible that absolutely embodies the definition of a one-hit wonder. Somebody who had everything going for him, who had all the tools anybody would ever need to be a Hall of Famer, just like Superman, and instead ended up kind of like Stiltman. So if you have your Bibles or your phone, see if you can find the book of Judges, where I'm sure we all spend a ton of our personal devotional time, right? We're going to look at four chapters in Judges that detail the life and misadventures of a man named Samson, a biblical figure who's more famous for kind of what not to do, right? So what we're going to find today as we read this story is that Samson was an incredibly strong man with very weak judgment. How do you throw away an all-star career in the kingdom of God? Let's go see. If if you're ready, say, let's do this. Thank you. So we're going to start off in Judges chapter 13. In most of your translations, it'll say something like the birth of Samson. And it goes like this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zora named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean you will become pregnant and have a son whose head, check it out, is never to be shaved or touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Okay, so quick context. The book of Judges takes place during this time where the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, are kind of stuck in this like rinse and repeat cycle where they ignore God, live however they want to, and just get way out of control. God punishes them by allowing them to get conquered or oppressed by another people group. They cry out to God, God, help us, save us, deliver us. And God responds by raising up basically a champion, a a divinely anointed chosen one type character, just like Luke Skywalker or Harry Potter or any of the other chosen one stories that we've all seen a hundred times now. So these judges, as they are called, lead the people back to God. They are divinely empowered by the Holy Spirit. They rally the troops. They defeat their enemies. And they all live happily ever after until they don't. And the whole thing happens again and again and again. So at the beginning of this verse that we just read where it says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's this pattern continuing. Now, notice real quick that Samson's mother and father were childless. But in verse 5, it says, You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So Samson's origin story, you know, kind of reminds me of a couple of other extremely important people from Scripture. I'm thinking John the Baptist, if you've ever heard of him. And most importantly, Jesus both of these people have miraculous, divinely prophesied births into this world. So Samson's not even here yet. He's already starting off great. So fast-forwarding a little bit, Samson is born, and as he grows up, the Lord blesses him and grows powerfully within him. So we're going to run ahead to, verse four, uh, to chapter 14 now. Excuse me, We're going to have to kind of skim this stuff. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in these chapters. So in your Bible, chapter 14 might be called something like the marriage of Samson. So this is after Samson's grown up. He's a young man now. But here I just want to pause real quick, and I want to tell you guys my favorite thing about this Bible figure. Check it out. Guys, Samson is an actual real-life superhero. This guy has legit, honest-to-God super strength. And Bible scholars and historians are kind of conflicted about how strong he actually was, but based on some of the stuff that we're getting ready to watch him do, man, if you guys were as strong as Samson, you could, like, bend a road sign in half. You'd be strong enough to, like, crush a shopping cart in your bare hands. You'd be strong enough to pick up a smart car and, like, move it out of the parking spot that you want, because there's nothing worse than pulling in at Target, and the parking lot is full, and you're like, oh, sweet, there's a park, I'll go there. And so you're pulling in, and the last second, you see that some horrible person has pulled their tiny excuse for a vehicle all the way up so that you can't see it until the last minute, and it's the most obnoxious thing of our times. But let me move on. So chapter 14, I'm just kidding, smart car owners, mostly. So chapter 14 starts off with Samson uh, taking an interest in a young Philistine woman. This is not the first time that will happen, by the way. And look, there's a ton of crazy stuff that happens in this chapter. Again, I don't really have time to go over all of it. I encourage you to go back and read this stuff on your own. But there's something cool that happens at verse 5 that I want to highlight because we've got some real-life superhero action happening. At verse 5, it says this, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. Say what? I told you, real-life super strength. Imagine being strong enough to like catch a lion out of mid-air and like mid-pounce or something, and taking an it and in and just like pinataing that thing. Samson is the real deal, guys. This is epic. <sighs> okay. Thank you. So here's the thing, though. If you go back and you read this whole chapter, again, I, I don't have time to go over it all because there's a specific story I want us to get to, right? But if you go back and you read chapter 14, what you're going to find is that Samson is enormously strong, but he's got some rather glaring character flaws, okay? Number one, the boy has got a temper on him. And, like, temper plus super strength is, like, all bad, right? Right? Samson is like the, the biblical Bruce Banner or something. Number two, Samson doesn't have great judgment sometimes. He makes poor choices. He displays short-sighted thinking. But I also think, number three, Samson is arrogant. If you go back and read this story, Samson ends up getting into this um, like this bet, this wager with some guys at his wedding feast, which was his idea, by the way. Um, and when I read these verses, he just comes across as very overconfident, very brash. And you know what they say. Pride comes before a fall. If you're still with me, say, Yup. <laughs> so we're going to skim over chapter 15. Look ahead to chapter 15. We've got to do kind of a flyby over this. Chapter 15 is another story, another incident where Samson loses his temper unleashes his, like, mutant strength on people, and there's, like, a surprising amount of animal cruelty, actually. It's a little strange. But if you think of each of these four chapters about Samson as sort of like episodes in, like, a four-part Netflix series about Samson, you know— the climax, the, the grand finale of this episode, is definitely down at verse 14. Check this out, where Samson gets in this massive confrontation with, like, the Philistine army. 14 says this, As he approached Leahy, the Philistines came toward him, shouting, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. There we go again. He's powering up, right? The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men are you kidding me that's insane we'll come back to that look ahead verse 18 because he was thirsty he cried out to the lord you have given me your servant this great victory must i now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. Okay, what a crazy story, but i really got to go back to this verse where it says that he grabbed a donkey jawbone and struck down a thousand men. So imagine, you know, this, like, epic battle scene, like in Troy or Gladiator, and picture this, like, uber-masculine chosen one dude, you know? Like, I'm thinking, like, played by Jason Momoa or, like, The Rock, and picks up a donkey jawbone and just wails on a thousand guys with weapons. And you know what this looks like if you've seen any of the great action movies from, like, the last couple of decades, The Matrix, or uh, Kill Bill, or like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. This is that scene where one person with completely overpowered fighting ability walks into a room full of armed dudes, picks up a weapon, and just goes off on everybody. That's what this is. This happened in real life. Why isn't Samson the greatest Bible figure of all time? Here's why. Here we are at chapter 16. It's titled Samson and Delilah. Are you ready? If you're still with me, say, Here we go. So we're going to skip the first couple of paragraphs again. It's, it, it's just another side quest where Samson displays his unnatural strength and his weakness for beautiful women. So we're going to pick up at um, verse four, Sarah. Yep, thank you. Uh, so it says this sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 11 shekels, uh, 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah, presumably now starting a relationship with Samson, says, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And get this, Samson, rather than saying, uh, no, I just met you, or why do you want to know that, or, oh, I don't know, I'm sorry, I can't tell you that it would be a sin against the Lord my God who I'm set apart to serve, Samson doesn't say any of that. He, like, lies and makes something up. If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Random, but okay. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him up with them, with men hidden in the room. She called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes to a flame. So the secret of his great strength was not discovered. So now we have this odd phenomenon where the same thing happens in the Bible three times, right? We see this sometimes in Scripture where there'll be like a situation or an action or something, and for whatever reason, the people involved have to do the exact same thing two or three times. And I admit it seems a little odd for those of us who are kind of reading the story in hindsight. Your guess is as good as mine. But for whatever reason, this exact same thing happens again. Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now. Tell me how you can be tied. He said, no. Nope. If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Now look. You would think that after the first time this happened, where this woman who Samson clearly has strong feelings for but can't have known for all that long, ties him up in exactly the manner he described in order to become vulnerable, and it turned out there were bad guys hiding in the room. You would think Samson, would, like his spider sense would go off and he'd be like, hmm, maybe there's something wrong here. Maybe I can't trust this woman. Maybe I should hit the brakes on this and think about some stuff. But for whatever reason, that doesn't happen either because, again, Samson just has really poor judgment and I would say is a poor judge of character. But maybe that did happen. Maybe Samson did have those thoughts, but he said to himself, eh, I can handle it. Maybe this woman is up to something, but this is kind of fun. What's the worst that can happen? I got this. So either by foolishness or arrogance, Samson plays along, and the whole thing happens again. Verse 13, Delilah then said to Samson, all this time, you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. Are you enjoying yourself, Samson? Is this fun for you? Come on, man. You're a hero of Israel. You have a divine calling from God. This is not a game. Wake up. So while he was sleeping, Delilah, spoiler alert, took the seven braids of his head, wove the men in the fabric, and tightened the, did that, basically. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pen in the loom with the fabric. That's three times now. And all of us who are reading the story are like, Samson, what are you doing? She's a villain. It's a trap. Get out of there. The bad guys are after you. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time, right? You have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Pause. I remember when I read those words and I was younger, I used to think, well, who would ever fall for that? Who would ever cave to that? Now that I am older and I am married and I know what it can be like to live with someone who is profoundly unhappy with you. I'm still not saying he should have told her, but I understand. Verse 17, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite, oh, you remember that now? Dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word uh, to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in hand, Uh, After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Ladies and gentlemen, your actions have consequences, as do your inaction, actually. Then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Ooh, that's interesting. A couple of verses ago, it said his strength had left him. Here it says the Lord had left him. That'll preach. Then the Philistine seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. Imagine a man born under a legendary prophecy, with a divine calling from God, blessed with superhuman strength and fighting ability, raised to be a leader and a judge of God's chosen people, blind, enslaved, humiliated, grinding grain in a prison. That, my friends, is an epic fail. Foolish, careless, overconfident. Samson was set up to succeed better than most. And if this can happen to him, it can happen to us. So my question for you is this. In what, listen to me, In what areas of your life are you ignoring your better judgment, flirting with disaster, and telling yourself, I can handle it? Is it those people that you hang out with sometimes that do stuff that you know is going to come back at them? Maybe it's the, the corners that you cut at work. Right? The rules you keep bending, the records you keep fudging, the things you keep bringing home. Maybe it's your warm relationship with that person who's not your significant other. So far, nothing's happened. So far. Friends, no matter how smart or how successful or how talented or how well-liked you think you are, The truth is, every minute, every day, every single one of us is standing on God's grace. Amen? We are one bad day, one bad decision away from disaster. And if you think that it can't happen to you, that's exactly why it can. Now, this isn't the end for Samson. There's a a little more to the story here. But I honestly can't call what happens next a happy ending. So let's pick it up uh, right at, um, let's see, where are we here? Let's pick it up right at verse 22, where Samson has been defeated and humiliated. But at verse 22, it says, but the hair on his head began to grow again. So let's run to verse 23. It's marked the death of Samson. And it says, now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, Their God to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Skip to verse 25. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. How the mighty have fallen. Verse 27, we're skipping ahead. 27, now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me, please God. Strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the philistines from my two eyes and this is that scene from that super old-school Samson and Delilah movie from like the 40s that some of you guys might remember. Then Samson reached out toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it, and thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. The end. You see what I mean? It's not a happy ending. It's definitely a dramatic one, sure. But Samson didn't need to go out like that. He could have led Israel for like decades more, won more victories for the glory of God. He could have died of old age, surrounded by children and grandchildren. He could have been a superman, not a slave. Samson is a one Two at best hit wonder. And there are three important things that I want us to learn from him together today. Are you ready? Here comes the first one. You are your own worst enemy. You are your own worst enemy. The Bible tells us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Spiritual warfare is very real, and I acknowledge that. But you know what? Man, I find that most days I don't even need the devil to come after me because I am my own worst enemy. I am the problem in my life nine times out of ten. My own selfishness, my own laziness, my own insecurities, my own pride. And if you're listening to me today, whether here in the room or somewhere else in the world, you need to know that you are the final boss of your life. I know that the devil is very real. I know that life happens and can be brutal. And I know that other people can just be the worst sometimes. But you know what? The only thing in all of that that you can control is you. And we just make Satan's job so much easier sometimes. Because we think it's a game. We think we can handle it. We think we can't lose. Just like Samson. With all of his power and all of his gifting, the only person strong enough to take Samson out was himself. And that's exactly what happened. So my advice to all of us, You better find some people you can trust that you can partner with that can help you because, spoiler alert, you have character flaws. Sorry. You have character flaws, and you're going to need help with that. Some of my best friends in my life were the people who loved me enough to tell me to my face, you're being a jerk, and you need to cut it out. And I wonder if Samson would have ended up differently if he had that kind of accountability. So my question is, where are you weakest? You guys still with me? Where are you weakest? Because you are only as strong as you are honest with yourself. Write that down. If you're taking notes someplace, and I hope you are, you are only as strong as you are honest with yourself. So be realistic about your weaknesses. Get other people who know you and you can trust, who love you, who love the Lord, to compensate for that. And stay close to God. Which brings me to thing number two, stay close to God. Did you guys notice that in this whole story that I just read, four chapters detailing Samson's entire life, there were exactly two places where he actually talks to God, two. One of them was after he finished wasting all of those guys and was exhausted and rather rudely actually asked God for a drink of water. The other was at the end of his life, when he was begging God to strengthen him one last time. Guys, don't let the only time you talk to God be when you need something. Listen to him, include him in your day. Make time, I said make time to study his word. Why else has he included stories like this in the Bible if not for us to learn from? In fact, In the book of Corinthians, it even says that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These things happened to them as examples and they were written for our instruction. Through the lives of people in Scripture, we see the benefits of seeking God and the consequences of ignoring Him. And if we're not taking the time to study that, how do we think we're going to end up any better? So stay close to God. And my last warning And this is a warning for all of us, myself included, is this. It's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. The first time I ever stood on this stage to preach, I started my message by talking about Game of Thrones. Some of you guys remember that. Because at the time... Game of Thrones was still the show to watch on TV. What a sensation, an international hit, and man, we were hooked on that stuff. We couldn't get enough. We tuned in every week because we had to find out what's going to happen next. Where is it all going? How is it going to end? Well, (laughs) I, I think that if you ask any of us who followed the conclusion of that show. Most of us will tell you that the finale to Game of Thrones was pretty disappointing. They just kind of ran out of steam in the last season, plagued by production issues and editing mistakes and bad writing. And it's a real shame because if Game of Thrones had stuck the landing, they could have gone down in history as the greatest television show of all time. And instead, they just kind of missed the dunk, you know, And they went down in history, but as one of the most disappointing shows of our times. But Game of Thrones isn't alone. We could sit here all day. I could take answers from you guys. And we could list movies and TV shows and books and basically anything that started off great, had amazing runs, and then you got to the end and you were like, ah, man. And what that tells me is that it is so hard to finish something well. For every book series or, or TV show or movie trilogy that started off awesome and had an ending that was actually great and satisfying, there's probably 20 or 30 that had amazing runs and just kind of fell apart. It's hard to finish something well. And I hate to say it, but people, our stories, our lives can be exactly the same way. Guys, anybody can have a great start. Anybody can have potential. Anybody can have promise. It is a thousand times harder to actually live up to and make the most of that potential. We have to finish well. Endings are hard, beginnings are easy. And I almost feel like maybe that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes meant in chapter 7 where he simply said this, the end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. I think the Apostle Paul understood that we have to finish well, because in 2 Timothy, at the end of his life, Paul writes these words. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have what? Finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. So, guys, look wherever you are in your faith journey—whether you've been walking with God for decades or where you still haven't even like made the decision to follow Christ—I want you guys to know that complacency kills. Here in the kingdom of God, there's no such thing as "I've done enough. I'm good." It is easier to fall off the wagon than you can imagine. So let's finish up with some next steps. If you're still with me, say, sure. What's the next decision you need to make, the next course of action you need to commit to, check it out, to stay on the path, to get back on the, tr- the path, or to even begin your walk with God? I want to leave you guys with just some, a few suggestions today. And the first one is this, maybe you need to make some changes, right, in your professional life, in your relationships, in the way you manage your money, in the way you manage your time. Write it down. Sit down, make a plan, write it out. Put it someplace where you can look at it often, where you can see it, where you can remember what the goal is. And as I said a minute ago, find some other people who you trust who have your best interest at heart, that you can partner with and help you in that process. Accountability is huge. Um, maybe you just need to get connected with other believers. Daniel was right here a little while ago talking about our life groups here at our church. If you just need to partner with other believers, we've got a ton of stuff coming up. Again, there should be uh, some resources on your your chairs there that you can get connected with. If you're watching at home, there should be a button someplace on your screen uh, that you can click. But if you need to partner with other believers so that you can walk together and work on some of this stuff, do that. Maybe you just need to talk to somebody. Maybe you don't even know what your next step needs to be that's okay. I get that. When we get done in just a few minutes, there's going to be some members of our prayer team that are going to be up here. They would love to pray with you. They would love to pray over you. We talk all the time here about getting counseling because it works. If you need like an objective perspective on your life to get some 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 information and some guidance, and again, that accountability, we have tons of resources that can help you get connected uh, with Safe Harbor as well. And lastly, if you've never made the decision to follow Christ. If you're listening to me today and you're like, you know, I I need to make some changes. I know I can't do that by myself. How do I sign up for this Jesus thing? Again, there'll be people up here from our prayer team that would love to pray with you, to pray over you, uh, and share with you the best news you can ever hear about Jesus. We have to finish well. Don't end up like Samson, who should have been one of the greats and ended up kind of a joke. Remember that the greatest and most persistent enemy you will ever face is you. And to counteract that, we have to find people that care about us, that we trust, to partner with, stay close to God so that we can finish well in the kingdom. Amen? Amen.